0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is the 21-year veteran of the Dallas Mavericks and 14-time NBA All-Star Dirk Nowitzki.
1: Today's guest is the only player in NBA history to play 21 seasons with the same franchise. That's amazing. He was the first European to be voted the league's most valuable player, and he's a member of the NBA 75th anniversary team. It's my pleasure to welcome 14-time All-Star and Shorefire Hall of Famer Dirk Nowitzki to the show. Dirk, it's great to see you, great to meet you, and thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. This is exciting.
1: You know, this past June, before I get into your, uh, your career, you were named special advisor to the franchise by Mark Cuban, and so what exactly does that entail? And did you have anything to do with hiring Jason Kidd as the head coach?
2: Well, it was it was busy this summer, you know, when uh, when we made a coaching change and and we made a, a GM change, so uh, that was a busy time. Um, but it's been it's been sort of quiet um, ever since. I got involved a little bit with free agency, but honestly. I think I wasn't ready to really full time commit and and and, you know and and really be there on a day to day basis. I think I'm just retiring, uh, uh, enjoying retired life. Uh, We have three little children. Uh, We travel a lot. Um, So I wasn't ready to really jump in on 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 a full time role, and so that's why I like this right now, where I can. Uh, you know, when I'm home, I can, you know, bring in my experience. I can learn some behind-the-scenes stuff in the management area. But uh, when I do like to travel, when we do travel with the kids, then uh, then I'm not uh, – then I do have to be here at all times. So right now it's a perfect, uh, perfect match for me and, and my situation.
1: Well, I was going to say, if anybody needs a vacation, it's you. 21 seasons, 1,522 regular season games – 27 playoff series which added an additional 145 games plus all the practices all the traveling um, did they ever mention load management to you when you were playing
2: well you know I'm, I'm old school still uh, you know back in the days we didn't we didn't really look at that you know once once I was in my 30s I think that was uh, that became more of a deal but in my 20s I actually I try to take pride and play all 82. Uh, to me, that was a that was an honorable thing to do, and so I, I think I want to say four or five times I managed early in my career to play all 82, and it's it felt good to know that you're out there for for your team and for for the organization for the fans. And, and you know represent basically at every game. That was that, that was always my goal.
1: You got there in '98 and uh, ownership change happened two years into your career there with the Mavericks and Mark Cuban took over. So mm. the question that I would have for you, is he as great an owner as he seems to be to go to work for?
2: He was definitely super hands-on, which was a, a change for, at the beginning from, uh, for us. Uh, he was at every practice. He was on every flight. He went to every road game. He was at every game. He was very hands-on uh, and, and very active. And, you know, I think as he got older, then, you know, he had kids himself. I think uh, he's a little more laid back now, but he is he's just an owner that, that loves it, loves the sport loves the franchise. He loves being involved. He thinks, uh, you know, his, his knowledge is, uh, is up there. And so he's, he's as involved, if not more involved, than any other owner you will probably see.
1: All right, we're just getting warmed up with Dirk Nowitzki. Stay with us as Game Time continues right after this. <laughs> Welcome back. We're with Dallas Maverick legend Dirk Nowitzki. Your dad was a team handball player. Uh, Dirk, it was your mom and your sister who played basketball. Uh, did you think basketball was for girls when you were growing up?
2: I did. I did. I thought it was a little soft, you know, and handball is, is a really tough sport and you can kind of shove somebody out of the air. You can clamp, you can hold. And so when I when I first transitioned to basketball, everything was a foul. You know, I couldn't do anything. Uh, the dribbling was different. You know, we used to sort of like more pat the ball down in handball and all of a sudden you see the guys, you know, you can kind of shovel the ball. It, it, there was some differences to it. And so I stuck with handball. It was kind of my first sport. And then, but you know, the transition, uh, was easy for me because I was tall. I had a good hand eye coordination and I had a good touch. So I, I love basketball better. I love being around tall guys. You know, I was yeah. super tall and then I was all in probably around age 15.
1: Yeah, and that's when I guess it was a coach who was on the German national basketball team who kind of discovered you, is that right?
2: Yeah, so I had a youth game somewhere and the afterwards was a, was a game uh, like a lower division type game and um, a legendary player uh, played on one of those low division teams and I didn't know him really at the time, I uh, had just really started playing basketball and he was, he was the captain of the 72 uh, German Olympic team. And, uh, and so after the game, he came up to me and asked me, hey, who's, who's practice with you? Who does skill work with you? Yes. And I said, who's this guy? I mean, nobody really. I just have team practice two or three times a week. Uh, and so he's, uh, and then the next year, he showed up at my family's house and said, hey, if you guys are really interested in basketball and, and you want to take it to the next level, I'd love to work with Dirk and, and make him a really good player. And, and that's how the whole thing started. I said, Sure. Uh, we just started, you know, once a week, maybe twice a week in the evening. And then I started started seeing great uh, progress and I, I got better and, and feel for the game and the jump shot. And so and then uh, we started to work more and more and, uh, you know, worked with them through my whole career. And we're still great friends and my mentor and he was, um, he was the biggest influence on, on my basketball career for so sure. Tell
1: me, tell me about some of the unconventional training techniques that he would put you through at your size.
2: So he only believed really in body weight stuff. Uh, we, we, um, we did a lot of handstands and pushups ups and, and we did some rowing and uh, we did some fencing for the footwork. And so all stuff that I don't think anybody ever thought about, but it was just his unconventional methods of me getting stronger and getting better physically without being in the in the weight room and, and lifting tons and tons of weight so that was his approach uh, of, uh, of getting better getting a little stronger by just doing games and body weight stuff and and so he even wanted me to you know uh, treat the game less like a robot and just you know he wanted me to dance and feel the game so one time he brought his friend who, who played the saxophone. So he sat there during my individual practice and played the saxophone for an hour. And I'm dribbling, trying to dance the game and, and dribble to, to the beat. I mean, it was so, I, I don't even want to see the film because I'm sure it was so awkward. But that's some of the stuff that he tried and it worked pretty well. But obviously I, ha- I had to buy into all that stuff.
1: You know, it's amazing. As a teenager at a Nike showcase basketball tournament, you dunked over Charles Barkley. Now, I'm assuming Charles was in the NBA at this time because you were younger Mm -hmm. than Charles. Um, Did you Mm -hmm. realize who Charles was and what you had just accomplished?
2: Yeah. So at that point, I already graduated high school and I was in the Army, which was mandatory at the time. I did a 10-month stint in the Army and uh, uh, Nike put a, a, a little a team together with Jason Kidd at the time, Gary Payton. Uh, there was a, a lot of great players. Charles was on the team. They played two games in Germany, and I was invited for for both of these games for a, a little German select team. And I mean, it was amazing. At this point, I was already a huge NBA fan. I was probably 18, 19, a huge fan, knew all these guys. Uh, Charles was one of my heroes. So. It was, it was an unbelievable feeling just to be on the same court, uh, with these guys. And then Charles afterwards in the press conference said, you know, this dirt kid's not bad. If, if, if he really wants to, I'm going to get, I can get him into Auburn. And, uh, at, at the time I'd never even heard of Auburn. Uh, but that was, that was an, just, I guess my name come out of Charles's mouth was already such a, uh, such a compliment. And I really took that as, as motivation to, to, to really work hard.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, you worked hard and you took it to another level. We're gonna return with Dirk Nowitzki right after these messages.
0: Brought to you by the Ford Bronco Sport. built Ford tough. It's time for a change. Instead of working from home, work from your luxury suite at Midtown Manhattan's crown jewel, the Kimberly Hotel. Now offering special monthly rates with the most impeccable safety and hygiene protocols to keep you safe.
1: The 2005-2006 season was special for Dirk Nowitzki, and not just because he won the three-point shooting contest at the NBA All-Star Game. The Mavericks were on the verge of squandering a three-games-to-one lead and losing the Western Conference semifinals to their intrastate nemesis, the Spurs. But Nowitzki's clutch three-point play forced overtime, and the Mavs advanced. Dirk, I remember that shot. and You had this weird thing about falling back and sticking your leg out. Uh, Would you consider that like the greatest shot of your career?
2: You know, we were really, we were up all game in second half. They made their run, they made their run, and took the lead with a Ginobili three from the wing. And here we thought it's it's all over, but there was still some time on the clock, and I made that play to tie it up and force overtime. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, looking back at my career, still one of the best plays that that I've probably done.
1: For sure. You know, uh, in the NBA Finals that year, uh, you played Miami for the first time. And like you guys were ascending, like you were talking about, and you always had to get over the Spurs or the Lakers had Kobe. And you had so much to deal with the Western Conference. I don't think people realize it. And when I was looking back at it, I was like, man, oh man. I mean, no wonder why, you know, it took you guys so long to get where you finally got to. But you had this two games to, to zero lead against Miami, the first Miami team without LeBron. And then all of a sudden, you had this lead in Game Three, and then you lost the lead, and it and it kind of everything slipped away from you. Was there a, a signature point or moment in that Game Three where you lost it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, one of the most epic collapses, unfortunately. Uh, I think maybe the whole the whole moment uh, for us was a little too big. Um, you know, after Game Two, we won both home games. Um, the Dallas Morning News here already. Printed the, the the parade route in in the newspaper, so that was that was the first mistake that already <laughs> happened. Uh, but then in, in Game Three, we still were under control. Then they stepped up their pressure a little bit at the end, and we kind of we kind of folded under that. We made some mistakes, and then you know really that that gave Miami the confidence that they needed, and uh, we we didn't respond the, the right way. Got blown out in Game Four. Game five could have gone either way, and then they ended up coming back here and winning on our home court. So, I mean, obviously, if you lose in the playoffs every year, it's it's disappointing mm-hmm. and frustrating. But that that loss was uh, one of the worst of, of my career, and I'll you know I'll never forget it. Uh, of course, uh, even though we, we got redemption a few years later, but uh, that man, that 06 final is, is a tough one.
1: Yeah, you know, you had so many things go on in a 21-year career. It's amazing trying to figure out the points in your career that you remember from a good standpoint and from a negative standpoint. Now, one of the good standpoints, you know, you won 67 games the next year. You were the MVP of the league, but yet you lose to Golden State, uh, who was the A seed, and then they have to give you the MVP trophy after losing that series. Uh, What was that moment? That had to be like a weird moment for you.
2: Yeah, you're bringing up all the tough ones. Uh, (laughs)
1: I'll get to the good ones. Don't worry about it.
2: (laughs) That was another heartbreaker. I mean, you know, after the 06 finals, you know, I was really frustrated for a few weeks. But then I was like, you know what? We are a good team. We just got by the Spurs. I think, you know, we're going to be back there at some point and we're going to have another shot at it. So I was sort of confident even after the 06 final loss. Then we blew, blew through the regular season, uh, won 67 games. Uh, we were the heavy favorites to win that year. we beaten the Spurs like three out of four, uh, which was our huge rival in the West. So we're thinking we're going to have a pretty easy route going to the finals uh, and, and hopefully this year uh, winning it. And then we run into Golden State. You know, we had Nelly at the time, our old coach. He knew us to a T. He knew my game. Every time I try to move and spin, somebody else was coming and uh, I wasn't a great passer at all. So, he, everything that he knew from coaching us, he obviously used against us in that series. And they were, they were small, they were quick, they were athletic, uh, they were good Mm -hmm. shooters, Uh, they had a lot of playmakers. So, all of that really uh, didn't really play in our favor. And they were hot at the time. Yeah. I think they had to win seven or eight games. That we had to win out to get in the playoffs, and they snuck in, and and we're red hot, and they, they beat us that year. They were they were better. We weren't prepared for them, and and so I was so frustrated uh, that that summer. I, I was almost embarrassed of letting my, my my city down, my 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 organization, and I didn't really want to feel leave the house. <laughs> So then I was like, I'm not going to stick around here. I'm going to go home. I want to go to Germany. I want to go somewhere in the world where nobody knows me. Nobody talks basketball. And the NBA says, ah, hold on. There might be a chance that you actually get the MVP. And I'm like, of all the years, of all the years, uh, this year, I don't want it. We were the first number one seed at the time in a in a. a in a seven game series to lose against the eight seed. Mm. So the last thing I wanted to do was take that MVP. And then, sure enough, I had to wait about two weeks. And then I had, uh, they told me I, I got it and I had to do the press conference.
1: All right, Dirk, we'll get to the good stuff right after this. We're back with Mavericks legend Dirk Nowitzki. Now let's get to the good stuff. In 2011, you faced the big three down in Miami. You truly were America's team in Dallas. What was that series like, and what was it like winning against those guys?
2: It was unbelievable. Obviously, they were the heavy favorite. They just had built the big three, and, you know, they got on the stage saying they're going to win five, six, seven championship. And uh, so it was – they were the heavy favorites, and, you know, we had a good team that was – it was experienced uh, they didn't have any egos we had some older guys that knew how to play and and so that was uh, that was an amazing year for us uh, we, were, we were healthy and, and ready and played our base basketball really at, at the right time so afterwards it was uh, when we won it almost felt a little surreal it felt like all the the work that we put in or I put in over 10 plus years in the league paid off and I gotta say it was very it was very satisfying it, it was, it was a very proudful moment because, you know, when you're in the city for over 10 years and here even you lose every year in the playoffs, you, you hear those rumblings, you know, Dirk might not be the guy. He's not the finisher. He might not be the guy that can get you over the top. And and of course, those those things motivated me. But then when you actually get to the top, you you, you know, you feel that immense pride that you, you've you've done it and you've overcome all that. and um, so that was um, I used all those those negative comments, all the playoff losses, the finals loss in 06. I think, all that formed me in, the, in, the, in a better player, and I used all that experiences in '11 to really get us over the top.
1: You know, the weird thing about that whole thing, Dirk, was, you know, I don't know how they do it in Germany, but when you win a championship, you're supposed to be out on the court to accept, like, all the, all the cheers and everything else. You ran back into the locker room. What were you doing in the locker room before they, you know, presented the trophy?
2: yeah i i, I needed a, a moment to myself I think to kind of reflect and uh, to kind of get get away from uh, away from it for a second and just you know I had a couple of tears I thought of some of the people that helped me along the way and and like i said it's been it's been over ten years eleven years in the league already and so many stuff has been has been stuffed up inside of me and and I just need a few moments and I, I lay down on, on like a bench in the shower and <laughs> And I said, I don't even want the trophy. You know, I want to be by myself for a few minutes. And uh, but then afterwards, I came back out and and got the trophy. And that was, of course, the picture now that hangs in my house. And but at the time, I said, I don't even want to be out there. I want to be by myself. So I am glad i got I got forced to get back out there and and go to the ceremony because uh, that that is one picture I would hate to miss now.
1: You know, a hero in Dallas for sure, but I bet a hero back in Germany as well. We'll be back in a moment for more with the great Dirk Nowitzki after these messages.
0: Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds. Protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe.
1: We're back with Dirk Nowitzki, who is included in former President George W. Bush's latest book, Out of Many, One, Portraits of America's Immigrants, is a man who is not only famous, said the 43rd president about Nowitzki, but he should be more famous for how he's helped people. And uh, what was that like hearing your name coming out of the, the mouth of the president of the United States?
2: Well, it was, it was really cool. I've met Mr. President before. Obviously, he's, uh, he lives here in, in our great city. So we have met before. And when, when, that, when I heard about that request that he wants me to be in the book, obviously, I was, I was tremendously humbled and, and honored. And, of course, I said yes. And I think he did a great job. And uh, we, we went to a Mavericks game last just this last season together and kind of promoted the book and just spending some time with them was, uh, was super great.
1: And here's a great thing. You got a biography coming out next March. I only get a chance to talk to you for about 20 minutes. It's called The Great Nowitzki Basketball and the Meaning of Life. Tell me about what was the impetus behind you writing this and what are you trying to say?
2: So I, I, didn't, I didn't write it, um, I'm gonna just come out and say that. Uh, we had a great uh, writer write it. He's, a, he's not a sports um, uh, writer, he's, an, he's a real book author. And so I think it's, it's a little different than the, the normal sports book. And he followed me the last probably seven eight years of my career and you know chronicled some stuff and then you know wrote it in a, in a great fun fashion out of the out of his view and the view of the fans so i think it, it ended up really really well it came out in germany about two years ago it's been out for a while and now they just translated it. they had to rewrite it a little bit for the american market but it's going to come out here in, in the spring and you know, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's. I think you did a great job of, of of chronicling some of those
1: things that happened in in those seven eight years. I think it's a it's a fun little quick read. Uh, thanks to Dirk Nowitzki and for for joining us today, and to all of you out there for watching on Boomer Science. And I'll see you again soon, right here on Game Time with Mets Hall of Fame catcher Mike Piazza. I
2: tell this story all the time. How many owners come to their players' <laughs> bachelor party? He actually came to my bachelor party when uh, before I got married. So that's how. Uh, how close we've gotten, the relationship we've built, and then he was super loyal to me uh, by making making me his franchise player. So it's always easy for me to to pay that loyalty back to him.
1: Yeah, 14 years in the NFL, I had Mike Brown, I had Leon Hess, and I had, I'm trying to think, Bill Bidwell as owners. None of them would come to my uh, bachelor party.